Last week in What the Football, Dan makes a bold relegation prediction. Well, definitely Stoke can run. Uh, and I don't want to say, again, I'm looking at who I don't want to go down. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say Newcastle. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, no wow. chance, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say Newcastle. Be cool. You're, Be really, cool. Trying to, you're really trying to keep more in the league on. <laughs> Con gets a little carried away with Sevilla. None other than the mighty, the historical, the great, amazing, the Jose. Sevilla, mate. It's Sevilla. Oh, it's Sevilla. <laughs> Pat declares Peter Crouch an excitement machine. Yeah, I'm not, I joked about Peter Crouch earlier, but to me, he's the most exciting player. Yeah. The, 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 the game lights up when he comes on for 10 minutes at the end of the game. That's it. That's the only thing you want to okay, see. First, but big Peter Crouch. Okay, so Shakiri's okay. Yeah, good point. Good point, Shakiri's Well, the reason it's exciting when Crouch comes on is we're likely to see him do the robot at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Con makes a good point. Well raised, Con. Good point. And I want it. It's a good time for me to inform you that that is how match of the round next week. So I'm going to force everyone to watch West Ham versus Southampton this weekend. Wait, as a, wait. Did Con make a good point? I wasn't listening. <laughs> he did. We'll, have, we'll replay it for you later, Dan. And Dan finally nails his trivia segment. Let me be as clear as possible. <laughs> right. Who was the last English team to knock a stand team out of the Champions League? Or does he? Which, uh, who was the last English team to be knocked out of the Champions League by an English team? <laughs> I think I know the answer, actually. Hang on, I thought it was the opposite. Who was the last English team to knock a Spanish team out of the league? Yeah, that's what I said. It was a Spanish team. I split in the other way around just to keep you on the same. <laughs> but, you know, when you oh, say it the back. other way around, it, it's a, it, it needs back. a different answer, Dan. <laughs> no. Which Spanish team was knocked out by an English team? That's the same thing, mate. No, you were asking what English team... What, what was the last English team to have knocked a Spanish team out? That was your question. So yes. one answer is an English team, the other the answer is a Spanish team. Which Spanish team? How good is that, Con? But we thought he got through. Uh, he almost did. One week. Yes, and hi everyone. Welcome to episode seven of What the Football. The football podcast it actually gives you some real analysis of this great game. I'm Patrick Gilbert, and joining me today are co-hosts Mike, uh, not Mike Dibbon, Dan Haswell, and Con Taylor. Mike Dibbon, a late last-minute withdrawal, unfortunately. Today, we are going to track and review our relegation picks from last week's episode, focusing particularly on the important West Ham and Southampton game, and what that result means for the teams around them. We'll also touch upon the highlights around the rest of this week's EPL action, including, of course, the Chelsea versus Tottenham clash. As usual, however, we'll kick things off with What the Football Trivia. Yes. <laughs> yes, and welcome to everyone's favourite segment, What the Football Trivia. And Dan, after last week's bold effort, what do you have for us today? 
Right, you jokers. You guys still haven't got one yet. <laughs> <laughs> we're, still, we're still waiting for a clear question. Kovic, <laughs> he scored a penalty. Yeah, yes. seventh of the season. Go on. That's right. So I want to know what's the record for penalties scored in a Premier League season. That was his uh, seventh. I can't fault this one. Right. I, I cannot fault this one, Con, but we couldn't fault the other one until he actually tried to give us the answer last week, so we'll we'll give it a go. What is the record for the most number of Premier League goals from the penalty spot? We'll, we'll come back to Dan later on and for the answer. Moving on to the first analysis segment of our podcast. This is a follow-up to the relegation special last week. It's a review of the big games involving these clubs, clubs especially West Ham versus Southampton. This match, of course, finished 3-0 to West Ham in a crucial win that has catapulted them up to 14th, suddenly five points clear of safety. Now, given that Con was the only one of us that tipped West Ham to go down last week, I'll let him start off start the analysis off with this question, Con. Were you obviously, well, you were obviously surprised by this result. Was there anything in this game that West Ham did that changed your opinion on their survival chances? Come on. Taylor, you big David Moyes fan, you. <laughs> okay, so yeah, the West, I did call it last week and I said um, that, you know, I think I tipped a draw in this game. I got that wrong, but I did say that Moyes will ultimately save them from relegation somehow. Dan, Dan that's not what I remember. I thought yeah. he tipped West Ham to go down and Moyes to lead West Ham to relegation. Yeah, he, he is always confused. Uh, so. Check your facts, Pat. Check your facts, man. But he is—he is—he is a closet Moyes fan, so. <laughs> like you, a closet Liverpool supporter. Dude. <laughs> uh, not a chance. <laughs> okay, so so Con, do you feel with this result that West Ham are now safe? It's a tough one to call. I think it's a massive result in the scheme of things. And I think um, if you look at, again, those running in fixtures that they have, I think this was a massive result for them. I, I remember tipping and saying whoever pretty much won this game would be the one to, to be safe. So based off those words, I'm going to stick to it and probably say that West Ham will be good. They'll probably still lose a couple more games because they do have some big fixtures coming up. But uh, Southampton were absolutely dreadful on the day and, uh, you know, I, I don't see how Mark Hughes can save them at all. They look like a team just totally devoid of confidence. So I think they'll be headed down with the other two that are there. And the, the, top, the bottom three for me are the three that go down. Do we give Moise yeah. some, some credit? We spoke last week about the individual superstars that West Ham seem to have. Yeah. We, we mentioned Antonio, Lanzini, um, and obviously Anatovic. Um it was interesting on the weekend against Southampton. Lanzini didn't play. He was probably 50-50 with, with a bit of a knock. And Antonio only played the last couple of minutes. It looks as though he deliberately picked a more team-focused uh, set, of, set of individuals for this actual game. Is, is, that, is that probably a fair call, or do you think something else happened? Well, I think what we can say is that West Ham aren't out of it yet. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Gee, Gunning for the title Gunning for the title of, of this, this week's highlights 
I think uh, there was definitely seemed to be some some issues between when Anatovic left Stoke. So he definitely he definitely wanted to do something in that game. And it seems like Hughes and him actually had words at some point during the game, which is quite funny. Um, but there you go. As as I said, we did say it. They they do have individuals. They they require them to be consistent. Um, yeah. Yeah, I guess where I, was, where I was going with that, Dan, is it's good to have a, number, a certain number of individuals because you need you you need a bit of that flair and the, and that the, the, sure. guy, the, the guys that can take the game on and do something unpredictable. But when you sure. but you can't have too many, can you? And well, what I was seeing early in the season, they had five or six individual stars on the field at any one time, and they and they just went linking up because I guess as you said, you got don't have the team. You, you need you need 80 of your guys to be doing the team thing. And that's that's where they seem yeah. to get it right on the weekend. Yeah, I think that's where the inconsistency comes in. Uh, if you're relying on these sort of inconsistent flare type players, that's right. If you you know you can't have four or five players having an having an off day. Um, that's just what seems to happen at West Ham. But yeah, they look like that that win. That one will be worth gold to them. Unfortunately, Southampton looked like they're in big trouble. They they just they they're struggling to to score goals. He played with he played with sort of two poachers in uh, Gabbiadini and Charlie Austin, Mark Hughes, which was quite interesting. I can't remember when was the last that happened in a sort of straight four four two formation. Mm. And it, yeah, clearly it didn't it didn't pay off. With West Ham, I mean, we spoke about it earlier, but it, they seem to be a team that whoever the manager is on their day, they either perform or they don't. And because, like Dan said, when you're driven by individual players who decide to turn up almost at will, and that seems to be the case at West Ham for most of the season, um, you just have to look at some of the results earlier when they beat Chelsea, I think it was in November, and pulled a couple of shock results here and there. You just you never know what you're going to get with them, but they they are far better in terms of those individual qualities to probably stave off relegation than someone like Southampton, who you'd be hard pressed to find anybody in that team that's going to you know perform on the day and do something out of the ordinary, like an Anatovic or an Antonio. They you know West Ham have a few of those players that can actually do it on the day, which is why they will, will they will survive. The relegation battle. Yeah, they'll get just enough points out of them as long as they can be consistent enough. And and Dan, you mentioned Southampton playing the two poachers, which means they're obviously relying on their midfield being quite dominant and being able to play those through balls and create those chances. Who did they have in midfield Southampton to actually do this? Yeah. Yeah, and they, and they don't really have that from the midfield at the moment. Um now, I spoke about Ward-Prowse. Ward-Prowse wasn't playing. I don't know if there's an issue there, but to me, I don't. He's their best creative player. Uh, and if you if you've got your two your two strikers looking for chances, you gotta you gotta create something for them. Um, yeah, I don't, they don't. They're not. They're not scoring goals. They're not creating chances. So things look very very bleak for Southampton, unfortunately. We'll, we'll move on to the next game, and, and don't worry, Con Dan's not escaping unscathed either. 
in another big relegation <laughs> scrap fight, we saw the John Joe Shelby-inspired Newcastle account for Huddersfield 1-0, <laughs> moving, him, moving him up to 12th. Can you believe they're almost top half? Seven points clear of the drop zone. Dan, your prediction is only one week old of Newcastle being relegated, but are you prepared to concede already that you got it wrong? No, not prepared to concede that. Uh, I, I will when say it, that I was, I wasn't judging it based based purely on on what the teams have got to offer. I said I was basing on which teams I don't want to see relegated. Um, and for me, Newcastle are a bloated, inefficient club. That, yeah, okay. I, I, I prefer to see other teams. So. But yeah, they so, should they should be good. they should they should be better than than the rest. So Pat, just to summarise what Dan just said, he somewhere <laughs> in there there was a yes, I was wrong. It just wasn't <laughs> well, he's very clever. He he bases his answer on, on on different criteria to anyone else, to all the, everyone else. So it's like it's <laughs> not who he thinks will go down; it's who he wants to go down. So I mean, we could have answered Chelsea, Manchester United, yeah, and Tottenham, exactly. and we would have been right. Well played, Dan. Well played. I judge myself by my own standards, okay? <laughs> it, but up until now, the, the only one who's actually seems to be on the money at the moment is is yours truly at the moment, with. Uh, as a, with tipping Huddersfield to go down with Stoke and West Brom. So we'll run through the other games. So we, so Crystal Palace, Swansea and Stoke both predictably went down, but put up respectable fights against Liverpool, Manchester United and Arsenal, respectively. And West Brom, well, we've already put a line through them, so we won't waste any more time on them, other, other than to say that they were pretty unlucky against Burnley, really. But... With all due respect to my co-host here, I think the only realistic question now is whether either Stoke or Southampton can climb above one of Crystal Palace, Huddersfield or Swansea. So, Con, give us a bit of sanity here. How do you see this playing out from here? Look, I, I still maintain, I, I said it last week, some of you guys are hard of hearing and didn't actually hear what I said, but I said West Brom will go down, I said Stoke will go down, they just do not have enough in the tank to get through and if you look at the fixtures that they have, um, Stoke, that is, you know, they've got to play Spurs, they've got to play Liverpool. They've still got to go and play um, Burnley as well, who are, you know, really good away from home as much as they are at home. Um, they've actually got to play West Ham as well. And it, I just see West Ham being too strong for them. So I just have no idea where Stoke are getting those points from. Um, Paul Lambert sort of come into and try to set up a very rigid way of them playing um, in trying not to concede goals, which obviously didn't even work against Arsenal because you had Obama Young and Lacazette scoring, um, which doesn't happen very often these days for the Gunners. Um, Southampton, I've spoken at length about them, just no idea going forward or, or getting any goals. So they're as good as gone for me. Palace, Palace are a good team. Um, a good team in the sense that, look, on the day against Liverpool, you know, Benteke... Had he actually been able to score, it could have been a completely different result in the day. Um, and I just think they have enough in their locker. And with the teams that they have to play, there's more than enough points um, for Palace to garnish to stave off relegation completely. Huddersfield, 
just based off who they got in the next three games, it's in their hands. And I think they'll pick up about six points out of the last few. Um, and I think Swansea are also a decent team overall. So to me, the bottom three are the ones going down as they are just, they cannot score, they concede goals. And they look, all three of them, uh, just totally devoid of confidence completely. Okay, great, Connor. And Dan, if using yeah. the criteria of who you actually think will be relegated at the end of the year, how do you, how do you see it playing out? Yeah, obviously, West Brom, I think we can say cheers to them. Stoke... The worrying signs for me is always when you see a, a team start sort of losing control, uh, and that's what they sort of did when they went when they went down against Arsenal, uh, and you start wondering if players are already you know looking to move on, uh, and they look like a team that's that's ready to be fleeced in terms of in terms of their players you know looking to move on. If you think of players like Shakiri, I think he's. He, he looks like he's gone already mentally. But I'm just to say, clubs, you know, clubs and agents will already start speaking to them to say, hey, we, you know, we'd be interested in you if you were to go down. Uh, and Stoke do have a couple of players. If you think of guys like Allen, Shawcross, Butland, the keeper. Uh, so there's four or five players there that are good players. Too good for the too good for the championship, uh, and teams will definitely be interested in snapping them up. going to get it this time. Jose's been popular lately. Robo Wars commentator has been popular. Sol Campbell's been popular. Dan, I'll let you kick this one off this week. Who is your anchor of the week? Okay, I'm going to put a bit of a, a spin on it for a wanker of the week in a different, a different sort of uh, slant to the word, and it's got to be, it's got to be Zlatan. You know, he talks, he talks so much smack about how he conquered everywhere. And, you know, you go to, you go to the U.S., big arrival, all the fanfare, and then to score a banger like that on debut. So, he, you know, he, he, he lived up. He lived up to the height that he built around himself. So that's, that's got to be a wanker. It well isn't. Done, well, that's a positive, <laughs> isn't it? I'm, I'm I don't get that. If he if he said, if he talked himself up and didn't live up to it, that's a that's yeah, wankerish. He's, he's so full of himself to the point of arrogance. Is that not a wanker? But I mean, he backs it up. Ah, he's okay. sort of kind of kind of like a Floyd Ma Floyd Mayweather type of thing. Right. So like Cristiano Ronaldo, who's an absolute wanker in my eyes. Well, yeah, you could you could you could put it like that. Yeah, I get that. Okay. <laughs> Interesting one. I'm glad. Bit, bit, bit I'm of glad a weak nomination, Dan. One, Dan. Bit of a weak nomination, really. <laughs> weak? 
Con, who do you have? Well, I've taken a, a bit of a change of um, change of route on this one, and thought it's actually uh, it's it's an open-ended wank of the week, and it's all <laughs> those people, it's all those football fans out there that talk about contact, and when it's good for their teams, contact was made, and when it's not, it's a dive. It took about three seconds on Saturday uh, in the Liverpool. Uh, Crystal Palace game oh, for, listen to this. For, for the memes to come out. And let me be very clear about something. <laughs> I do not think that was a penalty. And I'm not, I'm not on the bandwagon of if he's touched, it's, it's, it's contact. I never thought that Eden Hazard's dive earlier in the season against, I think it was Arsenal, Pat, if I'm not mistaken, where he kicked out and he went down like he was shot and they won a penalty. Um, I, I'm not of that school where if you if you touch slightly, it's a penalty or it's a foul. But the funny thing was that Mane challenge on Saturday, even the, the, the blindness of the commentators on the day, go and look at the incident again. Was he touched? A hundred percent he was touched. Did he embellish it? A hundred percent he embellished it. Should it have been a penalty? I don't think so. But it's always funny how certain supporters in certain teams decide when it's okay that contact is made and when it's not made and how it's used to justify a call either for their team or against their team. So that to me what, is very wankerish. And there's a what few are you going on about? So, so your, your, your wanker nomination is two supporters that have an opinion. What well, my, no. I may, okay, maybe I didn't make it clear. I'm talking about the contact piece. It's purely based off, I'm focusing specifically on contact, because people will argue, or the majority of supporters will say that contact inside the box is a penalty. I've heard it numerous times. So yeah, that's, anybody that's cool. I think, I think we were just giving you a hard time. But, but is Awanka the actual FA for creating the situation and not the supporters? Because your, your point in there, I 100% agree with. It's just because you touch someone doesn't mean it's a penalty. It's got to be contact, which is strong enough to, to either impede the player or to bring the player to the ground. And, yeah, Mane was touched, but he obviously didn't need to go to the ground. He decided two or three steps later that he wanted to go to the ground. So That's that right. shouldn't have been a penalty. But, yeah, the FA says, OK, well, if he touches him and he goes down, it's a penalty. And players go down because they're not going to get a penalty unless they go down. So it's the FA has created this whole technical... Um, slant on this, what, what should be a quite a straightforward rule. It should be pretty, very straightforward, if you ask me. Yeah, good, good core con. I, I think you, you need to get a bit more direction on it, but I think you're getting there. <laughs> Thanks um, for directing me, Pat. I no worries, mate. I'll, I'll help. If you need some coaching during the week before next week, <laughs> let me know. Um, I, I had, I thought about for my nomination, this guy. Wilfred Zaha did it, did it, did it. Oh, Willie Zaha did it, did it, did it. And yes, that was none other than our very own Daniel Haswell after Wilfred Zaha won a penalty to put Palace one goal up. And this obviously came back to haunt him as Liverpool stormed back to win. But I didn't decide to give it to you, Dan. I decided <laughs> that I've to give it to Antonio Conte, the Chelsea manager. 
for continuing to run his post-match press conferences like a funeral wake. He's been doing it since even before the start of the season because he didn't get the funds he wanted to strengthen his club and he decided to sook it up. And I really think this has rubbed off on the team. How can they be inspired by this week in, week out? In my opinion, they did well to get to Christmas in such good shape, but have collapsed amidst his constant misery. He's like Marvin, the paranoid android from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. While he may have been right in that he needed, to give, he needed players to compete with Man City, he is wrong to have not taken it on the chin and give his team a chance of success by inspiring them to do the best with, with what they have, which is still a very talented squad. And a lot of the departures and the non-playing issues of players have been his doing. He's depleted his, what he's called his already thin squad. So, Conte, you're the wank of the week. Do the best with what you've got and stop sucking it up, mate. You know what, Pat? I actually, that was one of my uh, other ones I was thinking of. I'm so sick of hearing that guy go on about how oh, he, um, it's just, I couldn't agree more with you. I actually was going to nominate him for wanker because I'm so tired of his press conferences and the same shit he bangs on about every week. Yeah, if, I kind of agree with you were on his, that one. Thanks, mate. If you were one of his players, would you just be going, like, why, why am I trying here? The manager doesn't yeah, Ridiculous. His, his post his post-match uh, presser was quite funny too, straight after the game. It's pretty much <laughs> like well stuff you guys you'll be in the Europa but I won't be around. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, I've done a bit of a reverse rank over the week because we always give commentators a bit of a, a bit of a bad run, but I found a friend. What? I found a friend in Andy Townsend. I was watching Arsenal versus Stoke, and and, uh, and and actually, first of all, he identified one of the guys I was going to put out as wanker of the week. Let's listen to this commentary. A lot of room for improvement. God, such a poor ball that is. I mean, one Aubameyang wasn't even running. You can argue whether yeah, can you hear anything? he was. As quick as he is, he's not getting anywhere near that. I mean, that's there's no, no feel on that pass at all there for Mustafi. Yeah, I was going to give Mustafi rank of the week because the sooner he realises he's not a playmaking midfielder, the better. The amount of times he gets the ball in defence and launches this straight through ball to someone like Obama Young or Lacazette and it's a straight ball and it's sort of one of those ones which land about 25 metres ahead of you as a striker. The keeper's 30 metres ahead of you so you've got no chance of getting. He just gives the ball away. He just is distribution is so poor so he's going to get close to it um but then yeah i've already given my wank so conte won it but the reverse wanker was andy townsend as i said because he then spoke about he then spoke about uh, aaron ramsey and jack wilshire i just play this for you guys i prefer i would prefer to see wilshire play alongside all any and let ramsey be the one to join in with the front boys. I think Ramsey finishes better, gets in the box, times his runs a little bit better than Jack Wilshere. And Wilshere could kind of initiate things perhaps a tad better than the other guys from that deeper position. At the moment, Wilshere's playing almost as a 10, just off the front a little bit, and he's hardly had a kick. Beautiful, beautifully said, Andy. 
So, Andy, just reinforcing my point, Wilshire should play be <laughs> below Hang on. below Hang on, Ramsey. What, yes. What's reverse wank? What's reverse wanker? Is that like when you when you put sandpaper down your pants? Hello. <laughs> <laughs> no quick, no cricket analogies. Welcome in here, please. We don't appreciate that. Okay, so Andy, Andy Townsend, the, the sandpaper man. Moving on to the final analysis. <laughs> He's not the sandpaper man. <laughs> Moving on to the final analysis segment of the show, we'll we'll have a bit of a chat about the big Chelsea Tottenham game, Manchester United win over did you win Crystal Palace and Arsenal Swansea. over well, the Swansea. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll start off with Manchester with Manchester United Swansea. Palace was Liverpool. They were lucky to get away with that one. Ah, oh, that's right. How could I forget? So, well, what do we think about those games? Anything we want to bring up in them? Uh, one, of, one of United's uh, better performances this season, uh, dominated possession in control of the game from the start, uh, got, got an early goal, which set them up. Uh, definitely like to see them to be more clinical, um, which is which is difficult to which is difficult to figure out sometimes um, in terms yeah in terms of coaching and and what they can do to do that. Um, I'd also like them to see them to see them get get forward quicker in possession, which the build up is still a bit bit slow for me and a bit laboured out of the back. It's also difficult. Swansea did put 11 behind the ball. So then you also do need to be patient. Um, but definitely one of United's better performances this season. So what do they have to oh, do to build, build up more quickly out of defence, Dan? Well, first of all, if you have a centre-back that's smalling who takes at least three touches to control the ball, immediately your build-up is delayed. Yep. Um, for example, you look at you look at a guy like uh, Eric Dyer for Spurs. Uh, to be honest, I didn't think he had that type of pass in him, but there you go. Picked out uh, Ali, as you say there, complete difference from Mustafi. He picks out Ali with a perfectly vertical through ball, and it's a one-touch and a finish. Thank you very much. Um, so if you've, got, if you've got players, you're holding midfielders, your centre-backs who can do that sort of thing, that completely changes your game. Uh, and Man City are doing it. Uh, they're doing it from the goalkeeper. Um, so, and and it's you've slick, got to have... it's slick passing too. And you, I was hoping you'd raise that because this is one of my pet hates when when teams are continually switching the play using their defence. The purpose yeah. of doing that is to shift the other team's zone or to get to the other side before that before the other team can shift their zone to try and get an out yes. number or get some space. Like teams yes. that, instead of switching it directly from one one flank to the other, they'll go via unnecessary, do an unnecessary pass to a centre back or midfielder, which takes about five more seconds for them to control the ball and then hit the pass, which the first guy should have done in the same in, in the first instance. And by that time, yeah. the opposition zone is switched, so there's no point to you yeah. actually switching the play. So you've got to do it with some sense of urgency. It's not just the, oh, let me just roll it to you and you roll it to him and then you roll it to him. It's not returning the ball to the bowler at cricket. 
get there quickly. <laughs> Are you being a cricket? You <laughs> oh, oh, no. He brought it up. <laughs> oh, he brought it up. Speaking of cricket. Yes, returning the a, ball to the bowler. It's a great metaphor. <laughs> and, and all sorts of things can happen to the ball if you dilly-dally with it on the way to the intended target. So it's a big risk. Very good metaphor. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. Uh, when it's... When it's to to shift and and cut off the passing lanes um, and one of the big reasons why man city are so successful and excellent in what they're doing because if you see their build-ups it's very quickly it's minimal touches and they're they're into the attacking third and then you're suddenly under pressure oh mate you, you brought up manchester city how good was uh <laughs> I forgot this. <laughs> there, Wingham. How good was that goal, that volley? Come on, help me out. Oh, you're yeah. talking about Man City, Sane? Sane. How yeah. good was Sane's volley? That technique was yeah. brilliant. Oh, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And, and, and Silva, outstanding as well. Con, I yeah. want to go get David. to you. I want to get to you, Con, because we've been on Firmino, right? Watch, you've been praising him, and... You were very quick to send me through a few couple of clips of Firmino tracking all the way back to the to their left back position to actually win a win a ball and then rebound the ball back back forward and showing showing his worth. And did did, did either of those things actually set up the goal? Yeah, was he playing against Palace? <laughs> okay, so they may listen. He can't track back and go and set up every goal. Can he? Jesus. So are we actually going to set some limits here? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, yeah, mate. You know, Firmino's brilliant when it comes to that press. He's unbelievable. I guess it highlights his value to the team. But, you know, on the day, the brilliance of Salah comes through again. He was pretty anonymous for most of that game against Palace. But um, he popped up when it counted. Uh, when it counted. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a difference in this Liverpool team from the ones I've seen before. We seem to be able to now slowly starting to, to grind out results. You know, a couple of years ago, I reckon we would have gone on to lose that game or potentially draw and, you know, uh, bring bring others back into that top four challenge. But we kept going. I thought, I thought um, Klopp's substitution when, you know, the unfortunate injury to Paul Alano was at an absolutely nightmare season. The poor chap now has gone and looked like he's torn his hamstring. I think in, in other games, Klopp could have gone with just bringing on Danny Ings. It would have probably been the safe option. I mean, chasing the game would have been the expected option, I think, from a lot of us supporters. Because it's what the subs he's been doing in the majority of the games before is bringing on a striker. But he actually changed the whole shape and went to three at the back. And it actually nullified Zaha, who Palace clearly had a, a tactic of um, exploiting Trent Alexander-Arnold and the left side of Liverpool again much like mm-hmm. United did. And that's how their first goal came about, was another bloody flick on again. <laughs> another over the flick top on. And another flick on. And, you know, again, got caught out on that left-hand side. But it's going to continue to happen when you've got someone like Trent, who's young and inexperienced in that position. You know, you can't be too hard on players like Trent when these things happen. It's, he's only 18. He will learn. You can get frustrated, but it's part and parcel of where we're at at the moment. Um, yeah, and I really, I really thought Firmino should have been back there to, to tidy that up, though. 
<laughs> where, where was he? Yeah, well, he, he can't be at left back and right back. Then. <laughs> <laughs> but look, yeah, like I said, three points in the bag. Three points in the bag. And I will say one thing. I know our fellow uh, pundit Jared is not here, but good grief. He bangs on about Henderson. That was one of the shittest games I've seen from Henderson <laughs> for a long time. So, Jared, that was just a special shout-out to you, mate. He's, uh, he's no captain, that's for sure. Okay, and, and the, the game we haven't spoken about uh, that some of us watched was the Arsenal versus Stoke game, which was an absolute bore fest for the first 45 minutes. I was really waiting for the excitement machine, Peter Crouch, to come on to liven things up in that second half. Um, and he did, but but you know what? He Arsenal for once defended against that long direct ball quite well. They they did what a um, what Sevilla did against Manchester United. They they basically allowed we basically allowed a Crouch to win that first header, and we just made sure we outnumbered Stoke for the for the drop of the ball wherever the flick was going, and and he wasn't really much of a challenge. Um, so no, no robot to, today for Crouchy. But, yeah, uh, but, but but Arsenal and my man Ramsey did really well and man of the match. wasn't his best game, but I don't think we actually played that well. Um, so he was sort of the best of a sort of ordinary bunch. I didn't even know Ozil was actually on the ground until about the 23rd, 20, 21st minute mark, I remember. Going, oh, Ozil's playing, which was nice. Um, yeah. I think your worrying signs are still there, Pat. In terms of your, your medium to long-term planning, you've got guys like Wilshire's contract is up. I think Ramsey's got a year to go. You've got a goalkeeper crisis happening before your eyes. So a couple of things there that again Arsenal have to sort out before before it comes to to critical proportions. Before it comes there. Eh? Well, they they're approaching it very quickly, and they've been they seem to <laughs> they seem to go from one from one to the next. It's like Groundhog Day. I think they passed for the point of critical there, DEFCON 4, DEFCON 1, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not all doom and gloom. It's four matches in a row we've won in all competitions. That's a streak. Well, you know, Pat, Pat, special shout-out to that statistic, mate. That really solidifies you ahead of Burnley, so well done. <laughs> yeah, you, so, you, so you're confident of pipping Burnley to that Europa spot? We, we don't need to. We don't need to. We're going to win Europa this year and be in the Champions League. And speaking of stats, speaking of stats and trivia, I think it's about time for the answer to this segment. Dan, you're almost there. You're almost there. Remember what happened last week, though. Don't get ahead of yourself. <laughs> Got to keep you guys on your toes. First of all, I think you need to restate the question. You guys haven't even had a guess yet? I must... Okay. So Milovejevic, that guy, scored his seventh penalty of the season. So I want to know who has the record for most penalties scored in a Premier League season. Do you want to know the number as well? Yeah. Okay. I'll have a pop. <laughs> There's two players I'm thinking of, but I think I think this guy pips it. It might have 
been uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. Oh seven oh eight with the ten, I think it was. Yeah, that's a good record. That's a good score, but he's not the record holder. No. Okay. I will. Pat, any ideas? I will give. Pat's just um, googling at the moment. Dan. I will give. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll go. I'll go. The man who actually was appalled today when, when uh, Obama Young gave his gave the penalty like a Z instead of just grabbing it and taking his hat trick. The, the the great man Alan Shearer. I'll give him. I'll say that it's him, Dan. The suspense is killing me. Alan Shearer. Say that again, Pat. Alan Alan Shearer. Shearer. No, it's it's not Shearer. Wow. Van Nistelrooy. Not Van Nistelrooy. Liz Ferdinand. (laughs) (laughs) Frank Lampard. Ooh, that's a good one. Should I put you out of your misery? Ah, so we're not right. Bloody hell. Yes, who is it? Anybody, Anybody remember Andrew Johnson? Oh yeah, it is like Crystal <laughs> Palace. Yeah, he he got eleven penalties in two thousand and four, two thousand and five. Wow, how many did he Andy score for Johnson. the year? Eleven. Twelve. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't score another goal. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how many uh, goals he scored. Oh, that's a good stat, Andy Johnson, most penalties scored. Good one, Dan. Still unbeat. <laughs> and that's 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 why you do own this segment, mate. That, that sort of trivia will come in handy, very handy next time I'm down at the pub talking to a few mates. Okay, great guys. Anything you want to bring up before we uh, we sign out for the week? I do actually. I have one thing. Speaking of Andy's, I'd just like to give a special shout out to our our left back at Liverpool. What a signing! Eight million pounds. Dan doesn't rate him at all. But what a what a signing he has been from little old Hull. It just you know what in all seriousness it shows that there there is value in the market, and um, it doesn't need to always be at the top end of the market. You can yeah. find these uh, players you know that have the ability to perform at a high level. And I think Andy Johnson, uh, sorry Andy Robertson, since he's come in, has been a, a breath of fresh air at left back. The energy he's brought, the enthusiasm, he just looks the part. So yeah. It's a shout out to that uh, the value the value bargain hunters in the market they're still out there. Then how come Firmino has to cover for him all the time? <laughs> uh, good one, good one. <laughs> how about you, Dan? You done? Yeah, good. Uh, Champions League coming up should be interesting. Mm. Yeah, I can't wait for Arsenal to win that win that first leg. <laughs> Should put it on the line today, boys. Who's uh, who's winning the first leg of that uh, epic English uh, battle? Any takers? Yeah, if, if Liverpool were playing second leg at home, I'd give you a chance. But over two legs, I think you'll be out right. after the first leg anyway, so it's fine. What should the tactic be, Con? Are you gonna you gonna go and try and score goals at home, or are you trying to not concede the away goals? I think we got to go 
I think exactly how we approached the game in uh, January against City. You know, the spaces are there to attack City. Um, you only have to look at Klopp and, and Pep's record over the years. It's pretty close, pretty even. It's one of those ones you can't split. The fact that it is over two legs, you know, both managers have the opportunity to get their, the, the desired result at home. So I see us being very, very much on the front foot, um, especially at home. You know, to Dan's point, two legs against City is, is freaking tough. And I think unless we're taking, you know, a couple of goal lead from Anfield on Thursday, um, it's going to be daunting down there at the Etihad. So I see us pressing them up high, forcing the mistakes. And I still think that back line of theirs is, has a mistake or two in it. Um, and I see us being on the front foot from the start. And I think they're in for a, a rude awakening when they rock into Liverpool on Thursday because that uh, atmosphere that United are trying to get with hymn books and whatever crap they've come up with over there <laughs> will uh, will be there for everybody to see on Thursday, on uh, Wednesday. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah that'll, be in, that'll, be in, that'll be interesting to see City playing out of the press. They have developed a way of, of playing longer. If you guys have noticed recently, for example, that, that goal they scored over the weekend... Where Edison plays it directly uh, to De Bruyne, yeah, right. De Bruyne flicked, flicked it on. Uh, Edison's actually got an assist the week before, uh, so I actually looked it up. They play, they play on average, I think it's 47 long balls per game. Man City, wow. which to be to be fair, they make about 700 passes a game, so it's only about six percent of their total passes. But they do play the long pass when it's on, and they actually have been they actually have been developing. That will be good to, good to watch because because Liverpool have been all over them, I reckon, this year when they've in their head to heads. So I'd be I'd be definitely tipping Liverpool to be to win the home leg, and I think you're right, Dan. It depends on how they can go away if they if they get enough there. But yeah, I'm actually I'll tip Liverpool to to get through totally. I'm on the Liverpool you know bandwagon. Pat, to add to that, sure. you know, just one comment. I do, you know, you can talk about players and, you know, the squads that players have, but I genuinely believe, and we saw it in the Juventus and Spurs game, and yes, it's a few mistakes here and there, but when you have the history of being in a Champions League and in games like this, which I personally don't, you know, City have only really come into that for in the last few years anyway, I just feel that sometimes that plays a factor may not be a big thing, but it's a psychological thing that can help push a team over the line. And the history with Liverpool in the Champions League, we've got a bit of a romance with the Cup. Um, I think it'll be enough to actually get us through over the two legs. Yeah, I think it's a valid point as well. Uh, okay, thanks, thanks, guys. Yeah, looking forward to having a chat after the European matches, especially next week. We'll see you all then. Sounds good. Hey, guys. Enjoy the beer, Dan. Enjoy the beer.